<laughs> Amen. Amen. How about Nehemiah tonight? Nehemiah chapter 2, a break from the book of 1 Samuel. Just a little bit longer here. Nehemiah chapter number 2. Now, as Bible believers, that is a, I like that name. That's a regal name. You know what I mean? It's got kind of, kind of a ring. Bible believer. But as Bible believers, uh, we've picked up some bad habits along the way. I'm not going to chew you out. I'm just going to talk to you for a minute and then try to preach. Uh, we've picked up some bad habits along the way because uh, we believe, most of you believe, or have been talked into believing that everything that a Democrat says is wrong. Um, so, I, you know, it doesn't really matter, I guess. One fellow said, uh, one bird, the bird's got two wings and they both are going the wrong direction, right? But uh, you ever consider the weather, the weather? It's weird, isn't it? It's, 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 like, it's almost like it's psycho. But, and that's probably irreverent because the Lord controls the weather, but uh, amen. And so what we refuse to actually consider is that global warming is, is actually probably a thing. Uh, I don't know if you ever, I, I was looking into it this week, and no, I don't have this great research platform, but you have, uh, you have a record number of volcanoes going off. You have a record number of earthquakes going off that has ever been recorded in the last hundred years, and uh, consider even the third law of thermodynamics where things are getting worse, the sun's cooling off, and you say, well, no, that can't be because in the Bible, the sun is seven times hotter. Well, consider your atmosphere is deteriorating. If we as Bible believers think that things are getting worse, <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. Why? I was waiting for the upper taker, man. But there could be a grain of truth in some of that stuff. But just because the Democrats said it, we're like, no, 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 that's up the devil. <laughs> but okay, well, so it is weird. But at any rate, Nehemiah chapter 2, there's, a, there's your divine uh, introduction there. When you find your place there in Nehemiah chapter 2, would you stand? We'll read a couple verses of Scripture. Read about 10, 10, 12 verses and see what the Lord has for us tonight. We begin here in verse number 11 where we left off. The Bible says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountains, to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which is good upon me. As also the king's word that he had spoken unto me, and they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. A great passage of scripture. Nehemiah takes his initial survey trip here, views the lay of the land, and he's immediately faced with a number of challenges. Brother Cole, why don't you pray and ask the Lord's uh, help in the preaching tonight.
Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> and I believe you would probably agree with me tonight that when I say that the Christian life is the best life anyone could ever live. And it really is, especially uh, if you uh, spend any time out in the world, you see the discouragement, you see the wreck of humanity. You see uh, people trying to please themselves to try to make it. People trying, if I could say the word, cope. Uh, people try to cope with stress, uh, stress, stress through a number of ways, uh, some legal, some not. But you see what I'm saying? I'm saying this Christian life is the best life that anybody could ever live. The Christian life is the only life that has hope in what tomorrow is bringing. And of course, that's hope is not a, in a governmental platform or a political party. And of course, as you know, it's not a political agenda. That's, by the way, that's post-millennialism. Post-millennialism puts all of their eggs in a political basket because they want things to get better. That's a, a number of uh, fundamentalists and the Roman Catholic Church. However, it's the hope that Jesus Christ could come back tomorrow. That's the hope that it is. Amen? That's why it's a great life. Because he's coming back. You know he is, the Bible says, and he could come back tomorrow. There's nothing that has to take place for Jesus Christ to come back. Uh, the old uh, plea of fundamentalism is, is, we're just waiting for the last soul to be saved. That's not it at all. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Nothing else has to happen before he comes back. And I kind of wish he'd come back right now. Amen? That'd be a, that, what a way to go. I mean, you're all dressed up and ready to go. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the trumpet going off and like, uh -huh, we were in church and you weren't. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just being funny. You know what I mean? But uh, the Christian life is viewed by many Christian celebrities. <laughs> I put that in quotation marks as a plush dream of positivity. And you know that is how they want everyone to think because when you are negative, it is not generally accepted. Now, I know there's a group of Christians and a group of Bible believers who just they just love that negativity. And you know what? I like a good dose of negativity every now and then. But the Christian life is viewed by many celebrities as a plush dream. But yet the reality is, is uh, while becoming a born-again Christian has solved your eternity problem, you are now faced with many other problems you didn't have before you got saved. So in the text here, Nehemiah has been, in fact, sent by the king. We preached about that. He's got full authority to begin this great work, and as he approaches the landscaping of his ministry, the outer edges of it, he immediately begins to face the challenges that lie ahead. So what I'm trying to do is trying to just prepare you. I just want to preach for a little bit tonight about facing the challenges. Facing the challenges. And there's challenges in this Christian life. And you and I are going to have to face them, and they're real. And uh, you can, you know, you can pretend they don't exist, but they really do. And you see it laid out just, I, I see, clear as a bell through the text. And, uh, and uh, so let me just start out here tonight. These challenges I see here, first of all, if you look with me in verse 12, I, I see the challenge of working in the night. The challenge of working in the night. The Bible says here in verse 12, uh, Nehemiah says, I arose in the night. Now, precariously enough, you and I are going to have to work in the nighttime of this dispensation, even though we are the children of the day. <laughs> and, of course, Jesus Christ, he walks out onto the water in the fourth watch of the night. And that's like right at where it's about ready to become morning. Amen? So the disciples are out there. It's stormy. It's going crazy, right? and it's boisterous, and they're doing everything they can to make progress, and they are not going anywhere. Does that sound like your Christian life sometimes? You're really putting in the effort. I mean, you're whole heave ho and all that stuff, and water's coming in, and water's coming in, and you're like, this is ridiculous. And I'm telling you what, the Lord comes. The dark, they say the darkest hour is right before the dawn. The challenge you and I face right now is working at nighttime. It's a real challenge. You say, why so? Well, the night brings darkness. Well, duh. The Bible says in the book of John that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. You and I have to work around that darkness. And I know Paul says we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. Amen? But it's still dark. 
And sometimes it seems difficult to walk around at night, doesn't it? Uh, there's dangers at night. Uh, it, we, you know we're in the night because of the darkness. You know we're in the night because uh, generally, specifically now, the nighttime brings coldness, doesn't it? I mean, in the coldest part of the night is right before it's day. You ever notice how the temperature dips right before the dawn? Man, I'm telling you, it is cold. How interesting enough for the scripture says here in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, it says, uh, because of in uh, iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. Isn't that true? Because of the darkness, because of the coldness, the darkness, the sinfulness, and the wickedness and the iniquity that abounds, let me tell you what, the love of many waxes cold. You see that right in the church house. You see that right amongst the brethren. Everything becomes more important than drawing close to Jesus Christ. We're not talking about trying to build a bigger building or take on more programs or trying to draw attention to ourselves. Uh, what we're doing, going to try, and you pray, please, if you can't do anything else, just pray that those uh, Perchville packets would be received. You know, it's so... Uh, just divine rabbit trail, we're, we're really good at condemning everything, amen? We're, we're biblically an antipas, right? That means against everything. And you probably have to be against just about everything these days, right? But how about this? Why don't we just thank the Lord that he brought everyone in one place we can go get that stuff out? Amen. amen. Well, that's wrong. It's wicked. The, li the line to the beer tank is, is, is as long as to the bathroom. Well, that kind of happens when you... Anyways, but anyway, you know what I'm saying there. We could complain about it or we could just say, look at that. The Lord put them all in a couple square blocks. It's like shooting fish out of a barrel. But we're not going to do any shooting though, amen? But with the gospel gun. But because uh, of iniquity shall abound in the nighttime, in this dispensation that you and I live, the love of many shall wax cold. We don't love the Lord like we used to many times. I can read books and I can literally feel the fervency of their love for Jesus Christ, but it's something written about 1700. You say, why? Iniquity. Iniquity shall abound. Uh, I mean, our, our uh, spiritual forefathers, if you can call it that, they didn't have to deal with YouTube. They have to deal with Wi-Fi uh, and all that other stuff. They didn't have to deal with cell phones. and They didn't have to deal with email. Right? What a life, man. <laughs> I mean, now you're, you're, like an, you're like an old codger if you're like, okay, email me. Because now it's either text or it's social media. Right? If it's an emergency, email me, you know. <laughs> I'll get it in five days. <laughs> Right? But uh, the nighttime, it brings darkness. The nighttime, it brings coldness. And of course, you know, the nighttime brings what? Wickedness. You do realize that the crime rate is exponentially at its highest peak between the hours of 12 a.m. and 4 a.m. <laughs> Imagine that. It's wickedness. You and I live in a very wicked generation. I know I don't have to convince anybody of that. That's why you lock your house. That's why you lock your car that you don't want stolen. And the ones you do, you just leave it unlocked. You're like, please take it, and I'll just cash in on the insurance. Amen. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at a couple of the vehicles I got. I'm like, man, you bring it back is what you would do. Amen. <laughs> of course, I own that, uh, that uh, one-ton truck, and it's a stick. And I'm like, they ain't going nowhere with it because hardly anybody knows how to drive a stick anymore. Amen. <laughs> but the nighttime brings wickedness and uh, so you're going to have to do the work in the nighttime in this dispensation, amen? That's a challenge. We are not in the Philadelphia church age. We do not have the open door. We do not have the great harvest of souls that we had 100 years ago. You know what we have? We got the gleanings. We got the bits and pieces. Don't you find it interesting that uh, preachers uh, often get hung up with numbers? In, but yet in the Bible, you go through the book of Chronicles, you realize David's sin of adultery is not mentioned. But you know what David's sin was mentioned in 1 Chronicles? Numbering the people. <laughs> Oops. 
Well, we're in the gleanings. We're in the last, we're the last of the Mohicans, and we're not even Mohicans, amen? I mean, it's Michigan, northern Michigan, but at least be Chippewas, right? Right? <laughs> but the night, it brings darkness, it brings coldness. I hope this is making sense. It's a challenge. And if you're going to try to do something for God, you're going to try to build a life for Jesus Christ, you're going to be met with the challenge of working in the nighttime. Work for the night is coming, right? You say, well, we're in the night. That's right. Well, you're going to have to learn to protect yourself while working in the night. You really are. You know, why we, why we struggle with these challenges is because we don't always protect ourselves. We just think because we're saved that, well, you know, <laughs> heaven bound with a hammer down. Well, you need to protect yourself. Your soul is eternally secure. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God in Ephesians 4.30. Amen. What a blessing that is. But you need to protect yourself spiritually. You need to protect your relationship with God by putting off the works of darkness. Look at Romans chapter 13. That stuff literally jumps on you like stink in the barnyard. Wickedness, wickedness, the works of darkness, literally all you have to do is look at a screen and it's on you. Don't you find it interesting... Uh, and I, I don't have to pretend like nobody knows what I'm talking about. Don't you find it interesting that you'll uh, sit down and you'll search for something on your device? Run that uh, word through your Bible, by the way, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, your device, and you'll be looking at an image on your device. Again, look those words up in the Old Testament. And you're looking at something that is relatively, I say relatively, <laughs> relatively innocent, and all of a sudden you find yourself engaged in the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, you know, the, you're playing the roulette wheel with your thumb, right? And like, oh, <laughs> and all of a sudden something right out of the exhaust pipes of hell jumps right in front of you and you're like, whoa! You see what I mean? That's the wickedness of the night. You've got to put, on, you've got to put off that work of darkness. When it puts itself right in front, you've got to put it off. Like you got to put it down, you got to put it off, you got to get rid of it. See, that's what got David in trouble. Uh, David was out uh, being the king. Well, actually, should have been in battle, but that's another message for another time. And all of a sudden, he sees, you know, uh, whatever name, uh, Bathsheba there. He's like, whoa. And instead of like quitting, he's like, uh, uh, oh, let's take the next step here, right? Instead of going, I need to put that away, I need to put that off, I need to stop thinking about what I just saw there, right? Old-timer says you can't keep birds from landing in your hair, but you can keep them from making a nest in there. So when that bird landed, it had been like, you got to go. But we don't do that. And you got to protect yourself by putting off the works of darkness. Romans chapter 13, verse 12, the Bible says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on, which is my second part here, you got to put off the works of darkness, and you got to do what? you got to put on the armor of light. you got to protect yourself from the darkness. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're automatically protected from the darkness out there. Your soul is saved. You're eternally secure. But let me tell you what, your, your fellowship with Jesus Christ is always in an unfixed position based upon what you associate with. All right, now take your Bible and go to the place you already know we're going to go, Ephesians chapter 6. You have got to learn if you're going to operate in the nighttime, which is where you're at now. It's a choice, right? I'm not losing anybody tonight, right? It is a choice to serve the Lord. Do you believe that tonight? I'm, I'm not a dictator of God's sheep. I'm not a tyrant, but you have a choice. You can choose to serve him or you can choose to not and you'll still go to heaven. God saves you, and then he turns around, he puts your life, and he gives it right back to you. Now, it's quiet because we haven't been faithful to really delineate that. God gives your life back. Just like that Hebrew slave had a choice. In Exodus chapter 21, he could go or he could stay. He could say, uh, see you later, I'm hitting the next thing smoking. Or he could say, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my master, I will not go out free. See, you could go out free if you wanted to, and you'd still be saved. 
and you'd still go to heaven. But you've got to make a choice. So you make the choice to serve him here. And uh, the way you're going to stave off the attacks of, the dar of darkness is by putting on the armor of light. So now that's a choice too. And so a lot of Christians will make the choice, I want to serve the Lord, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do, and then they'll put the armor on and they wonder why they're dragging. Like the old preacher says, it's sag, bag, and drag. Well, here it is. You've got to put the armor on. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, look at verse 14. Here's the armor. The Bible says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. you got to put the armor on. Now, I know we know this, but if you're going to make it in the nighttime, here's one of the challenges. The challenge is you've got to work in the nighttime. And, you, and if you're going to walk in the day, then you don't have to do all that stuff. But we're in the night. And that's why the Lord gives us armor. And he says, put it on. He says, I'll give you a choice. Serve me or don't serve me. All right, I'll serve you. All right, here's the armor. Here's a choice. You put it on, you'll be all right. If you don't put it on, you'll get cut to pieces. So as Christians, we get cut to pieces. Why? Because we want to serve the Lord. We made the choice, but then we don't put the armor on. Why? Because we're at night. Tell me who has not walked from their bedroom to the bathroom in the middle of the night and busted your toe. And you whistled Dixie all the way there and back. And you hopped on one foot, didn't you? Why? At nighttime. <laughs> That's it. Well, you got to protect yourself while working in the night. I'll show you one more thing here on protecting yourself. Now you know this. You know this, but it's a good refresher in the middle of the week, isn't it? It's a good refresher. You know what? It's a choice to serve the Lord. I have a choice to make. I can choose to serve Him if I want, and if I don't want to, well, I guess I made the choice. And if I'm going to serve Him, then i got to make another choice. I'm going to put the armor on. But look at Psalm 119. Here's the thing. You want to know what makes things uh, brighten up a little bit? The more you read this book. Bible says here in Psalm 119, uh, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. Ain't that something? So you're telling me that I can operate in the dark by wearing the armor and be safe and have less trouble with the armor on? Yes. Make it through better? Yes. And uh, the more I'm in that book, I can protect myself from the darkness because of the light that it gives off? Yes, absolutely. That's what the Lord gave you. The Lord gave you this book. The Lord gave you armor, and he gave you the book. Amen? That's a blessing. Well, that's the challenge of working at night. Here's another challenge. Look at verse 12. There's not only the challenge of working in the night, but here's the challenge of working with only a few men. The Bible says in verse 12, I and some few men with me. That's all he took. That's all he had. Uh, listen, they weren't, uh, uh, he wasn't turning people down to come help him. <laughs> You know, and it, that's kind of like uh, the day and age you and I live in. If you're going to do something for God, you're going to have to face the challenge of only a few people working with you. In a lot of cases, it's a husband and wife thing. Amen? That's why Solomon said two are better than one. <laughs> Amen? Because uh, us guys, we'd walk, up, walk out the door without a pair of pants on. You know what I mean? And at least she's going to tell you, hey, you're stupid. You better look in the mirror. But this is the challenge of only a few men to work with. Now you recall back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, David only had a few men to start with, right? I mean, he went from 400 to 600. You're like, oh man, preacher, if we had 600 men, you'd have to build, you'd have to build another uh, sanctuary and a half. I'm not worried about 600. I'm worried about the 16. Amen? <laughs> we already talked about what the Lord thinks about you uh, messing around with numbers. Amen? The <laughs> Lord doesn't get too happy with that thing. I mean, can't the Lord supply with what he brought here tonight? Sure he could. Uh, so you, David started, he only had a few men. And those men, they were, uh, I, mean, I mean, I know there were mighty men later, but they were pathetic. They were, they were in debt, right? <laughs> they were distressed, and they're all discontented. That sounds like the Oddfellow Company, you know? 
Uh, I don't know. It's probably not a good illustration, but uh, when I was a kid, I watched Hee Haw. You ever watch Hee Haw? You know, it's stupid, you know. And they all had this uh, little spot in there, and they'd sing gloom, despair, and agony on me. That's these guys, man. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery, and they'd say, if it wasn't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. You know what I mean? I know that's, but that's what I'm thinking. These men, they came to David, and the Bible says he became a captain over them. And he's got all these bunch of depressed, indebted, ornery Bible believers following him wrong. I follow them along, and if you read later, some of them, all they, all they want to do is cut a head off. They just want to fight. And he's like, you're kidding me, guys. <laughs> that's Abishai. <laughs> but uh, that's the challenge of uh, only a few men to work with. I mean, didn't Jesus Christ say, what, what did he say? Matthew 9, 37, he says, the laborers are all. So they were a few back in the day of Jesus, weren't they? I mean, listen, the Philadelphia church age is the only time where the church had an open door and a full church house. I mean, we're talking Bible believers. And half of those, the reason it was full is because they're having funerals all the time for their faith. Well, David started, you only had a few men. Jesus said the labors were few. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 14 um, a comparative reference here. The work uh, has to be done by a few. You say, why? Many are called, but <laughs> few are chosen. <laughs> One preacher said, uh, many are cold and few are frozen. <laughs> well, that's, that's the nighttime. <clears throat> but let's, let's never, ever think that God can't do something with a few people. Amen? Uh, go to Zechariah chapter 4. Now, some of you are familiar with this passage, but what we have here tonight is a few people that love the Lord and love the Bible. Amen? We're all 3D perspectives. We're all in debt. We're all distressed. We're all discontented. And Jesus Christ is our captain. Amen? But never discredit a small group. The Bible says here in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10 that who had despised the day of... Small things. You see that? I'm telling you what, God uses small things. God uses little things. God uses things that are little in number. That old song says, Little is much when God is in it. Right? Labor not for wealth and fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. I mean, you might think you're small. You might think you're insignificant, insignificant. But God will do something with you if you sell out for Him. God will do something with you if you're faithful to Him. And I know it's nighttime and I know it's cold. And it's like you don't even want to get up half the time because you're just going to get beat up. You know what I mean? You're going to get beat up by your flesh. You're going to get beat up by this world. And the world always seems to know what you're trying to not do because they're always shoving it in your face. You see what I mean? Always knows what you're trying to stop or you're trying to quit or you're trying to get out of your life because they're like, here, it's on sale. That's the world. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. But little is much when God's in it. Well, let me give you another one here. Here's the, here's the challenge, not only working in the night, challenge of working uh, with just a few. Amen. And that's the day and age you and I live in. You can dance all around that. That's absolute truth. You can do something for the Lord, it's just going to be a couple people. But I'm telling you what, he'll get it done through you. And he'll get it done without you if you don't want to do it. Amen. But here's the one I want you to look at for a second here. Look at verse 13. Here's the challenge of working with broken things. It's a challenge. We've talked about this before. Uh, you know, when you come to the local church, uh, I, I hate to inform you, but you see people at their worst. I don't care what they look like. like oh, everyone's dressed in their Sunday best. It's to cover up the mess that they are. Because deep down inside, everyone is a mess. Some just disguise it better than others. Amen? 
I mean, sometimes when I come to church, I'm just such an emotional wreck. You say, well, you really need to get a hold of that. You pray for me on that, amen. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll hear something. It'll melt my heart, and I'm like, oh, I can't even preach. And I was like, we know that, but you get up there, and you open your mouth, and we'll, we'll deal with the fallout, amen. <laughs> but uh, broken things. It says in verse 13 about those things which were broken down. You see it? That's the reality of Jerusalem. And you know what? Our Jerusalem right here, a lot of it's broken down. And what God's been trying to do is he's been trying to rebuild what's broken. And God, he majors in fixing broken things and broken lives. Well, some broken things I see is a, a big one for us is our conscience as Bible believers. Uh, a lot of our consciences are broken. Um, we don't take care of our conscience like we should. Now listen, you and I are going to work with broken things. And a lot of our conscience are shot. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 2, that those conscious are seared with a hot iron. Seared with a hot iron. That's doing something you know you shouldn't do. But you know, I've been washed in the blood and I'm still going to heaven. You keep doing that thing, you're going to sear your conscience. You're going to sear it. And next thing you know, you, you'd be worthless as a plug nickel. Conscience is uh, broken. Uh, how about this? People are broken. We need to stop thinking that the local church is a... I didn't say you thought it. I, I'm just saying ambiguously. We need to stop thinking that the local church is a, is a museum. It's a hospital. It's for broken people. You ever notice in the local church that there are some people... <laughs> Some of y'all must be in real bad shape because you're still here, amen. <laughs> and some people are just short-termers. You got the ICU ward, right? In and out. You say, yeah, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're God's sheep, not mine. They're not yours. It don't matter what you think. Uh, all I'm supposed to do is feed the ones that are here. It's your job to pray for them. <laughs> and mine too, amen. You ever notice some people, they'll be with us for a short spell. They get some help and they'll stand up and praise God and testify and they'll be out the door. You say, well, well, they're God's sheep. They're still God's sheep. <laughs> Don't matter what you think about them. <laughs> Don't matter what I think about them. Amen? Uh, but people are broken. People are, they're just, pe we live in a broken age. Uh, the family's broken. Amen? Uh, look at Isaiah uh, chapter 59. Uh, society's broken. Now, that's an easy one. Right? I mean, we know society's broken. But look at Isaiah chapter 59. Real quick here. I'll read just a couple verses and move on. I think you get the picture I'm trying to say in the challenge. The challenge that you and I face in living, building a life for Jesus Christ and trying to build a work that goes all the way through the judgment seat of Christ is realizing that people are broken and society's broken, marriages are broken, our consciences are shot. But let me tell you what, that's where God really shows himself faithful. Isaiah chapter 59, look at verse uh, number 14. 14, Bible says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Let me tell you what, the things they do on the streets of Iosco and Ogemaw County, 200 years ago they would have whipped you for it. I'm telling you right now, they would have strung you up. Why? It's fallen in the street. The truth has fallen in the street. Matter of fact, when you go out on the street and you hold up the truth, you, they kind of look at you like you belong. Uh, uh, stay there. The nurse will be with you shortly. You know what I mean? They, they look like you, like you. there's something wrong with you. And you're like, yeah, there is. I'm trying to show you the goodness and grace of God so you can enjoy eternal life in heaven. But that's, uh, that is the brokenness of society. Of course, you know the brokenness of the church. Just circles back around to where we're at. Sometimes we're broken in our preaching. The pulpits are cold. The pulpits are fixated on things that they have no business being fixated on. And it breaks. Because let me tell you what, the church will never rise higher. The pew will never rise higher in the pulpit. And it's broken. It's cold. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. But God uses broken things. He uses a broken soil to produce a crop. God uses broken clouds to give rain. Think about that. Uh, to get a loaf of bread, you've got to break grain. God uses broken things. 
And it's the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. And it's Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever before. God uses broken things, but it's going to be a challenge. If you're going to live a life for Jesus Christ and build a life for Jesus Christ at last, you're going to have to realize that I am working with broken things, broken individuals, broken marriages. Well, not only that, let me show you this. Here's a challenge. Everyone faces this, verse 17. It's just a challenge of being stressed out. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. <laughs> You know, y'all ready for a nap. Half you came in here, you're like, oh, honey. <laughs> right? But it's the challenge of being stressed out. Look at verse 17. Nehemiah says, ye see the distress we are in. Here's your sign. <laughs> he just says, look, you all can see it. We're stressed right out. And if you're going to build a life for Jesus Christ, you're at the challenge. One of the challenges you have to face and come to grips with and enough of this, oh, you should never be depressed. Just shut up about it. You're going to get depressed. Even David said, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? And you're going to face it, but you're going to get stressed out. It's going to happen. Now, I don't think you need to stay stressed out, but you're going to get there. <laughs> and you're going to visit Juniper Junction, aren't you? But the key to Juniper Junction is you can't stay there. you got to let the Lord touch you, amen, at least twice. And you got to let the Lord feed you at least twice and let the Lord uh, give you some water at least twice. I don't know, maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night if you can, right? And then get back out there again and go find out what God wants you to do. Now, what about this stress? How about the stress of everyday life? You're never going to get rid of it. Amen. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, uh, he, uh, turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there is the stress of everyday life. I, I, I made a comment to an illustration about being in college and waking up one morning and uh, realizing how smart, I mean, stinking genius my parents were. And, you know, as children, you're hard on your parents. You're really, really hard on them because why? Well, you're just not mature enough to realize what they've already been through and what they've done. Amen? But it'll come. <laughs> if you've got half a brain, it'll come. I mean, it's slower for some people. Amen? But eventually you realize that your parents weren't trying to, you know, be the devil you thought they were. Um, and, uh, but, but here's the stress of everyday life. By the time I'm uh, pushing closer to 50, uh, my parents are stinking geniuses of how they handled life. Uh, because at my age, man, I'm, I'm going someday. <laughs> you know, exit stage left, you know. Paul says here in uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, uh, he's talking about all the things he suffered from about, uh, was it 21, 22, 23, all the way down to 28. He said, besides those things that are without, that's the stress of everyday life, the things that are without. Uh, look, uh, if you haven't already done your time, <laughs> Uh, for most people, uh, that's like two, uh, two life-term sentences you're going to have to work. <laughs> Amen. By the time you're 20, you're going to have to put in two more life sentences at least, and then maybe half of another one before you can uh, retire and enjoy the golden years where they take all your gold. Amen. But uh, uh, he says, uh, besides those things that are, that's the stress of everyday life. And then you have the stress of ministry. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not talking about being a pastor. I'm talking about a ministry. Every Christian here has a ministry. The Bible says everyone here has the ministry of reconciliation. That's reconciling the, word, uh, the world unto God. And the ministry that you also have is being uh, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You have a ministry. Whether or not you have a position or a title or a pew with your name on it or a wall with your name or a, whatever. I'm not talking about that. You have a ministry and you're going to have the stress of everyday life and the stress of ministry. Interesting enough in Colossians 4.17, there's a fellow there. Uh, he was a preacher. His name was Archippus. That's an interesting name. You know, do they call him, what's up, Archie? Or they call him Hippie or Hippie or whatever. But you know what Paul says in verse 17? He says, fulfill your ministry. It's just out of the blue, he pulls that out there and is like, you need to fulfill your ministry. And I got to thinking, <laughs> I've only been a pastor for 10 years, but I bet you there was a temptation to quit. 
you know, no matter what you are, uh, what your ministry is, or what you do to serve the Lord, there's going to be a temptation to quit. That's stress. And you've got to de get bulldog determined. You're not going to quit. You say, why? He never quit. He never quit on us. The Bible says, having received mercy, we faint not. And uh, that's stress of ministry. Interesting enough, 1 Timothy chapter 5, I know some of the brethren go through the roof on this, but it's still scripture whether you want to wrap it up with a bow or justify it or, you know, whatever. But he tells Timothy to take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. You say, why? <laughs> he needed a toddy to go to bed? No. He had, he had medical problems. Let me tell you what, you serve Jesus Christ, you go to find some medical problems along the way. I didn't say mental, but you might have some of them too, amen? <laughs> but I'm just showing you places in Scripture. You've got Archippus was told to fulfill his ministry. You've got Timothy was told to uh, a little wine for his stomach's sake. And then you had Titus in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul is telling him to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. <laughs> you know what the temptation for some preaching is, preachers? is to lay off the rebuke. Listen. You don't rebuke someone as a preacher or a pastor or a street preacher or a ministry. You don't give out the rebuke just because they deserve it. Because that's the case. All we would ever get is, is rebuke. Amen? You rebuke someone because, number one, the Bible says so, and number two, that they be sound in the faith. So I'm saying there's times you'll come to church and you'll get the rebuke. You're like, hey, hey I didn't deserve that. Lord's like, you're right, but you ain't going to do it now, are you? <laughs> you see what I mean? They may be sound in the faith. Titus was told to rebuke them sharply, and all I would guess from ministerial stress, and not just the pastorate either, but it's living your life and building life for Jesus Christ. How about the stress of marriage? We still, we still in the same building today? I know there might not be a whole bunch of people married, but there's a handful of them. The stress of marriage, would Paul say in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, such shall have trouble in the flesh. <laughs> if you're married, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. It's stress. Now, how about this? You know what Paul says that a uh, spouse is? It's a distraction from serving the Lord. That's why Paul says if you're married, you can't, uh, he, if you're not married, you can serve the Lord without distraction. But once you're married, you have to serve one another and seek for those things which please your wife and seek for those things which please your husband. That creates stress. Stressful environment, amen? I'm just saying those are the challenges you already know. I'm, just, I'm probably putting a name on some of it because you face it. And that's the challenges you face with serving the Lord and being a Christian. A spouse can be a stressful distraction from serving the Lord. How about this? A stressed out husband has a tendency, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, to be bitter towards his wife. If a man's stressed out, he'll be bitter towards his wife. That's why Paul said... Be not bitter against them. And a stressed out wife has a tendency in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, to not listen to her husband. It goes both ways. When you let stress get in between you and your spouse, or the stress get between you and the Lord and your relationship, it'll get you. It'll bite you. And that's the challenges we face. And of course, how about the stress of taking care of a family? I mean, Paul told Timothy, he says over there in 1 Timothy 5, 8, that if you don't uh, provide for your own, especially of your own household, you're worse than an infidel. You realize in Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, we have infidels. People who are slap lazy and won't take care of their kids. And Paul says, you're worse than an infidel. Well, take stress, doesn't it? Well, I'll give you this one here. <clears throat> the population of this country... Uh, I think this is about 15 years ago, it's 200 million. 84 million are retired. That leaves 116 million to do the work. There are 75 million in school, which leaves 41 million to do the work. Of this total, there are 22 million employed by the federal government. Well, that leaves 19 million to do the work. 4 million are in the armed forces, which leaves 15 million to do the work. Take away from the total of 14.8 million who work for the state and city governments of course, they don't work, so that leaves 200,000 to do the work. And then there's 188,000 people in the hospital at any given time, leaving 12,000 to do the work. And currently, there are 11,998 people in jail. That leaves just two people to do the work. You and me, and you're just sitting around listening. 
<laughs> no wonder we're tired and stressed out. And then finally, I'll give you the last one here, and we'll uh, close it up. How about the challenge of opposition from others? That's the last one we're going to face in the text today. Verse 19 says, they laughed us to scorn and despised us. If you're going to build a life for Jesus Christ, and you're going to build a work that goes all the way through the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to face the challenge of opposition. And uh, this opposition in verse 19 uh, sometimes will laugh at you. Sometimes they'll laugh at you. I remember being on the street in West Branch, and it was, I don't know, it was like bike week or something with all the tough guys. And one guy, he was a pretty good-sized guy, but he was liquored up, and he comes over and says, yeah, you're a wimp. Call me a wimp. I'm looking at me, I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to fight you, but I'm, I, don't think I, I don't think I'm a wimp. He's like, yeah, you're a sissy. You're a wimp. I'm like, I'm a wimp. Huh? That's right. I'm like, you hold my sign. He's like, nope. I'm like, who's a wimp now? <laughs> you're all in your black leather and little spiky things there, you know, like you're a tough guy and all that and, you know, got your little greasy hair. I don't know if that's shampoo or you just ain't washed in forever, but, you know, I said, why don't you hold my side? Oh, no, 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 no. I said, well, you're the wimp then. But the opposition, will, they'll despise you. Verse 19, it says they despised us. Just like Joseph. Remember Joseph? Here comes a dreamer. They despise him, the Bible says. They despise Jesus Christ. And, of course, they despise Noah, uh, Noah <laughs> Nehemiah, <laughs> here in the passage. And uh, the opposition, notice here in verse 19, they question your motive. Isn't that interesting? He says in verse 19, what is this thing that you do? If you're going to do something for Jesus Christ, your motive is going to come into question. It's going to come into question by the brethren. It's going to come into question by your family. It's going to come into question sometimes by lost people. You've got to be ready for that. That's the challenge. That's the opposition. It's almost like it's a proof that you're doing what God wants you to do. Not always, but it's a good, it's good proof. When you have that pushback, God, you know God wants you to do something, He wants you to serve you, and all of a sudden, you know, it becomes difficult to do it. That's the opposition. They question your motive. And, of course, here in verse 19, that opposition at times will accuse you falsely. In verse 19, he says, we rebel against the king. <laughs> now, that wasn't Nehemiah's plan, but that's the opposition. They accuse you falsely. Now, notice this opposition. You know it, I know it. You're Bible believers. It's inevitable. Amen? You do something for God, the opposition's coming. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 3. Afflictions, we are appointed there too. Coming. Got it? You know it's coming. It doesn't make it easier. All right? The, uh, the opposition is inevitable. The opposition, you know what it also is? It's irritable. <laughs> it irritates the fire out of you. Well, it does me, if not you. It irritates me sometimes. I'm like, good night. I just want to serve the Lord. I just want to do the work. There's nothing more edifying than being out in the woods and be able to sweat and work like a horse sometimes and not be bugged. But if i got to stop every five seconds and Bean's got to ask me this and Chuck's got to do that and i got to sharpen the saw because he ran it in the dirt or I ran it, I just get irritated. Amen? And that's opposition. It just irritates the fire out of you. It's inevitable. It's irritable. How about this in 2 Corinthians 4.17? you got to remember the opposition is light in comparison to glory. Now there's the right way to think about it. All the things you and I face, Paul says... Our light affliction. <laughs> I haven't gone through much, but some of the things I went through, I'm like, really, Paul? Are you serial? <laughs> light affliction? It sure didn't seem light, but in comparison to glory. And I want you to see this in Hebrews 11.25. We'll try to close this thing up, make a couple comments. You've got to realize that your response to the opposition is still a choice. You see, every step of the way to serving the Lord and building a life and building a work for Jesus Christ that lasts is always a choice. And when you get to the opposition, your response is a choice. Hebrews 11.25, that's Moses. He made a choice. First of all, the choice is you can suffer through it. You see it? I believe that's the right choice. You can suffer through it. It says choosing to suffer, right? You see it right there in Hebrews 11.25. It's a choice. You can choose to suffer. How about this one? You can choose to shut up. <laughs> you can choose to shut up about it. 
Well, that's what the soldiers did in Matthew 28, 15, right? Didn't the Bible say that they paid him the money and they did what they were told? The soldiers knew that Jesus raised from the dead, but hey, they had... And they did what they were told, and they said what they were told. You can choose to suffer through it, you can choose to shut up, or you can be like Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10, and you can leave Paul, and you can sell out. That's a choice. You can sell out, you can shut up about it, and hope it doesn't get worse. It might not. You see, all the devil wants you to do is he doesn't want you to quit reading your Bible. He just wants you to quit today. He doesn't want you to quit going to church altogether. He just wants you to quit today. He doesn't want you to stop praying because that's a little bit over the top. But, you know, you slept in, so he just doesn't want you to pray today. As Nehemiah takes his initial surveying sites of the ministry, he's immediately faced with physical, mental, emotional and spiritual challenges. I'll say this, the only ministry that has no challenges is one that a man never picks up the mantle to. You're going to face challenges. Every man is going to face challenges along the way, a lack of light when you try to minister to others, only getting a few folks every now and then to maybe come alongside you and do the work. Many people you meet along the way are going to be broken, and it, it wears on you. Amen? Because the world puts on such a good front, like, it's all great. and it's all, We're all going to the happy hunting grounds. And yeah, well, where you're going, I don't want to go. <laughs> Plenty of stress to go around. But we know that the opposition will be ever-present and very pitiful. But these challenges, you know, they're not meant to stop us. They're not meant to stop us. They are meant to sharpen us, secure us a foothold of faith, and step us closer to the throne room of God. See, the more we build a life for Jesus Christ and the more we try to build something that goes all the way into eternity, you know what it should, should bring us into focus? The, the, the number one thing here, that you can't do it without Jesus Christ. And boy, do you need him. All right, why don't you stand? We'll have a word of prayer and we'll get out of here. Challenges, facing the challenge. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible. Thank you, Lord, how it spells it out so clear. Father, we know there's challenges there. Father, we know that uh, the afflictions are appointed. And Father, we know we can't change those appointments. Father, I've even smelled a few of those appointments this week, not looking forward to it. But Father, I pray you should help us, Lord, help us draw us close to you. And Father, help us to make the choice to face the challenge. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts tonight, draw us closer to you. Father, may we realize the biggest thing is we just need you to get through it. And Father, we love you. I pray that you give everyone a safe trip home and uh, bring them back on Sunday. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.